Good morning, Firewall Bible Fellowship. How are we doing? Ha ha, the few, the proud. Nice. Well, I want to welcome you, and to you who are at home, welcome uh, to our worship service. Uh, what a wonderful thing. I, I love the church. Do you all love the church? Yeah. I love it, and I love being a part of a local church. Uh, one of the great blessings that came into my life when I gave my life to Jesus was I was immediately like welcomed into the family of the local church, and it's, it's been the greatest part of my life. Uh, and then my wife and children and all of the wonderful things that come from raising our family in the church, and so it's so good to be with the church this morning. Uh, we are going to begin with prayer, uh, which seems very fitting, right? That seems almost biblical. It's pretty biblical, right? Uh, we're going to pray together. And we're going to ask this morning, um, not so much for the Lord, but we're going to ask for our own hearts. Because I believe, and we need to believe, that the Lord is going to do work in our hearts, that He moves in His grace. And, and we don't know how and when uh, He's going to move, but we believe that when we're willing, that when we're available and we're listening, wow, uh, the things that the Lord will reveal to us. And then in that humility of bringing our worship and our awe and our adoration to God, we give to God what we give no one else. We give Him our worship. We give Him our heart. And then, and this is so crazy, the, this radical eternal transaction that takes place that God then gives us what no one else on earth can give us. He gives us our identity and He gives us our value and our worth and our purpose. And then we're actually free to love one another. It's incredible. So, Lord, we ask this morning first for our hearts, that our hearts will be in tune to your kingdom, that you are our Father in heaven. Holy is your name. That you are above every rule and every authority. That, Lord, you are all-powerful, that all-knowingness of who you are. We, we testify and we recognize that you are sovereign over history and you are sovereign over our story and you are sovereign over this very minute of our life. And so we ask today that you would tune our heart to your rhythm. Holy Spirit, move in power in this place, Lord. Move in power in our hearts and our minds that we'd be willing and receptive that you would receive our worship as we, as we sing to you in our frailty and our brokenness. And that you would in turn give to us what no one else can. Lord Jesus, we glorify you. We lift your name up, that your name is above every name. That at your name every knee will bow, every tongue confess that you are Lord. We willingly bend our knee to you, Jesus, as your followers and the people of the way, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And that through you, Jesus, we are free to approach you, our Father in heaven, glory. We love you, Jesus. May you be honored today as we worship. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. All right, y'all, let's stand together. Goodness 
before we start this next song. I wish you guys could feel what we feel up here when we hear you singing out there. 
It's, it's, it's so emotional and gives me goosebumps whenever I hear your voices raised in worship of the Lord. It's really pretty amazing.
Isn't that a wonderful truth? Yeah, let's have a seat. That's the time in our service where we give our offering. I'm going to ask that our ushers will come forward. I want to encourage you, to you who are at home, um, we love you. And uh, we're so grateful that you're a part of the church. But I want to encourage you that sometimes when we're away from the church, we forget to support the work of the church. And I want to encourage you that for all of us, an important transition in our spiritual life is where we go from, from not just taking, but to also giving and to supporting this most important work because we believe as a church that there is no greater work on planet Earth than the work of the church and how God is powerfully moving in and through local churches. So we join our resources together because we believe that it is God honoring for one, but we also believe that those who have not been reached will be reached. And we believe in the sound teaching of the scriptures. And we believe in supporting the work of the ministry. And so a great opportunity uh, this morning to give our offering. You can give online via text message through basket, but I want to encourage you to give. And this morning while we, we pray for our offering, I also want to offer up a couple of, of, of prayer requests. Uh, first, I want to rejoice. You know, this week a piece of legislation passed. And uh, it's called the Heartbeat Bill. Y'all have heard about this. Yeah. And uh, the, the, it's a legislation in the state of Texas that abortions after six weeks are no longer going to be allowed. It'd be against the law. And, and uh, I looked at that. I was reading an article, and Planned Parenthood came out with a, a report and said, a statement that said 90% of abortions will not be able to be performed in the state of Texas that are typically performed. And all I could think of is that 90% of the children that were going to be murdered won't and they're gonna live. And y'all, that's not a political issue. The church has got this all mixed up. It's not a political issue. It's an image of God issue. That we believe that all human life is important to God. And that we've all been made in the image of God. And that it is our responsibility and it is our, our call as Christians to pray for the, the unborn and to provide homes. So we talk about, yes, let's support it and let's, let's see these children be born, but let's also Christians step up and say, we're going to open our homes to adopt. And we're going to take practical steps and we're going to invest and we're going to leverage part of our life so that these little lives can be, uh, can be raised up in the Lord. Amen? So we rejoice in that. We're going to pray for that. We're going to rejoice in the family. And I just want to let you know that marriages and family are under attack. And we're going to pray. We're going to pray for the boldness of Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10, that we would stand, that men, you would stand for your families. That moms and, moms and dads, we will stand for our families in the power and the strength of his might, not our own. That we would stand in the full armor of God with the chest plate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the helmet of salvation, shoes with the readiness of the gospel, that our feet are firmly planted on Christ. That we would have the shield of faith and that we have the sword of the Spirit, that we would pray at all times in the Holy Spirit. That we would take a stand and we would not concede territory that has been won for Christ. That we would stand boldly for our church and we'd stand boldly for our families. That we'd stand in front of our homes on our sidewalk and we'd face out the street and we'd say, we're going to take a stand. Oh, that we would take a stand for our families and for our marriages. And we're going to pray for our country and for our leaders. So Lord, we approach you today and we rejoice in, in the news. We rejoice uh, that 90% 
uh, of the children that would have been aborted through Planned Parenthood are not going to be aborted. And our prayer is that 100%. Our prayer is that every single life would have opportunity to be born, that, that every single life is precious in your sight. And we ask that, Lord, that we as a country and as a people would be humbled before you to recognize not only the miracle life of life, but to recognize that every life is, is in the image of you. Lord, we pray for a restoration of sanity for our culture and for our country. We, we pray for our leaders and those who are in places of authority. We pray for humility and we pray for wisdom. We pray for our military, Lord. We pray protection in, in your sovereign will to be done in and through the leadership of, of, our, of our military. But we pray for our soldiers, the men and women who are laying down their lives literally for our country. We pray that you would comfort uh, the families of those soldiers who are away. We pray that you'd restore them to their family's whole. Lord, we ask, uh, Lord, for the marriages in this church and in our community that are under attack. Lord, Satan is after our families. And I pray that there would be a boldness of faith in our church and in our people, that we would take a stand, not in our own power, but that we would stand in the power and strength of your might. That we would no longer lay down our spiritual life or lay down our families on the altar of this cultural definition of success, but Lord, we would stand boldly for the faith. That you would fill us fresh and anew with the Holy Spirit and eyes to see, to not be short-sighted, but Lord, that we would fight. And that we would stand firm in our conviction and our faith in you, Jesus. We thank you this morning for your grace and your goodness of bringing us together. We pray your blessing and anointing on our offering. May you use it to be leveraged for your kingdom and for your good. We pray abundant blessings over the local churches that are meeting right now in this community. We pray an anointing and a blessing over the shepherds. We pray an anointing and a blessing over the congregations. We ask that, God, you would move in power this morning in and through the collective voice of worship in the local churches churches. We pray for the heart and soul of this community that, God, you would speak in and through the shepherds and the leaders and the teachers of these churches. Thank you for your grace and your goodness of bringing us to this church, and we thank you for your love and the tender grace and mercy you've shown upon us. We pray this all in your name, Jesus. Let's all say it together. Amen.
Again, for the worship team. 
All right. Uh, first and foremost, thank you to you all for being here on a holiday weekend. Uh, I know it's a lot easier to be somewhere else on a three-day weekend, so thank you for being here. We appreciate you. Uh, next up, golf tournament. You've heard it before. October 16th at Waterview in Rowlett. Uh, shotgun start, 8 a.m. If you want to sign up, there is still plenty of time. Go to the events page on our website. Scroll down to October 16th, and you will find it there. Softball. Ah, yes. Softball, uh, this Friday, I got a call from the commissioner. They bumped the date up. Uh, so we will be starting this Friday, and there's a lot of buzz, a lot of buzz about this. Uh, the, town, the town is talking about the firewheelers uh, and the hurting we're going to put on uh, whoever we play. Uh, but we still need uh, players, especially ladies. We need you all to come out. Uh, we need five to field a team, five, uh, five ladies, five guys. So, ladies, if you could help me out, I'd really appreciate it. Uh, we will provide the gloves, the bats, uh, the libations will be on you. Uh, but other than that, it's going to be a great time. Uh, this next Sunday, this is very exciting, uh, but somebody came up to me. Huh? Oh. Oh, Michelle, would you like to come up? <laughs> I'm kidding. Eager beaver. Uh, no, no, but yes, I know what you're talking about next Saturday. Uh, next Sunday, and this all came about because somebody came up to me in the lobby, and they said, hey, Keegan, how do I get more involved at Firewheel? And I said, great question. Really great question. Here's how you do it. Next Sunday, we're going to have a volunteer fair. So what it looks like is we're going to have different stations set up here. So right after the service, we're going to have representatives from the coffee shop, from the AV team, uh, from the worship team, from children's ministry, and from youth ministry. But we're going to have all these tables set up. So if you feel uh, a calling to serve in a more uh, volunteer fashion at Firewheel, uh, you'll have an opportunity to kind of get an idea of what that looks like and find a place for you to fit yourself in. It's going to be a really good time, and it'll lead to uh, more involvement in the church. So, uh, And then next Saturday, uh, now you're cheering, and... There's a couple things going on next Saturday, so let's see if I got them right. Uh, there's always King's Closet on Saturday. Uh, right now, uh, as we approach the cooler months, I know it's hard to believe, but there will be cooler months, uh, coats. Coats are a big thing. So if you could bring coats and drop them off in the King's Closet donation box out there, uh, also hygiene kits. Um, and then also next Saturday, 9-11, uh, Josh and the youth, they're doing a volunteer first responder appreciation. Uh, they're going around to police departments and fire departments in the area dropping off handwritten cards and praying for them. So, uh, and I didn't ask Josh about this, but if you'd like to join in on that, um, get with Josh and he can give you some more information. Uh, but it's just a great way to reach out to the community and really be a force for good. So, that's all I have for you. Enjoy the sermon. All right, thank you, Keegan. You are one good looking individual. I just felt like I had to say that, right? He's good looking, huh? eligible. Just want to throw that out there. Give that a little plug. Hey, didn't our worship team do a great job this morning? Yeah. Thank you, worship team. Uh, thank you to our teachers and our volunteers and all those who, who give uh, of their time and their effort and their energy every single Sunday uh, to just tangibly love us. And uh, I just want to encourage you, have opportunity and take opportunity to show appreciation uh, for those who, who serve you. Amen? All right, let's open our Bibles. Everybody got a Bible? Let's see them. Lift those Bibles up. All right, who's got a pen? Anybody got a pen out there? 
Got a pen, y'all ready? How about a pad? You got something to write on? How many of you are a sermon buddy? Let's see those sermon buddies. Yeah, if you want a sermon buddy. If you don't know what a sermon buddy is, it helps you go through the message, gives you an overview of Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17, which is our passage for this morning. So let's open our Bibles. Everybody say, Word. All right, uh, if you do not have a Bible and you would like a Bible, we have copies of the Bible uh, around the auditorium. I want to encourage you, grab one. Uh, if you do not own a Bible, I want you to have that one and, and take it with you. We believe in putting the Bible in every person's hand who, who's interested in reading and or studying it, and then we'll show you how to use it. All right, so last week we left off with that wild-eyed preacher of the wilderness by the name of... John the Baptist, that's exactly right. We look at Matthew chapter 1, or Matthew 3, verses 1 through 12. And I think we all can agree that John had a very radical message. And I say radical only in the sense of how it tends to come across to our modern day ear, uh, even in the church. It seems very radical. Repent! Boy, we use that word a lot, don't we? Repent. It's almost like a dirty word. Well, we shouldn't use that word. No, it's a holy and it's a pure word. It is a posture before the Lord where we are turning from sin and we're turning to God. And, and it seems so radical. But it's not a radical message. It's just regular street-level Christianity. And uh, John came preaching that message, and, and, and it seemed kind of like a throwback to hellfire and brimstone messages, like from, from maybe uh, our growing up years. But then it got me thinking, I'm like, maybe we need a little bit of hellfire and brimstone in our life. We, maybe we need, to be, we need to be challenged, and we need to be called on the spiritual mat occasionally. We have such a conditioning that we, we only want to hear what we want to hear, and we surround ourselves by teachers who tell us the things we want to hear but not necessarily need to hear, and it's like seeking out a doctor, and the second the doctor tells us something we don't want to hear, we go find another doctor, and I'm just like, wait a second, isn't that the choice of staying sick? If we only surround ourselves by people who tell us what, our, what we want to hear... We're making the willful decision to stay sick. Look, here, check this out. If we keep firing doctors because they tell us what we don't want to hear, we're making the conscious decision to stay sick. And uh, John tells us sometimes, uh, the words of John and the words of Scripture, they tell us things that we don't necessarily want to hear, but we need to hear. And so this morning, we're, we're picking up, and, and John is in the middle of his ministry. He's preaching, and he's baptizing, and, and we read last week in Matthew uh, 3, verse 5, that, that the, literally all of the people of surrounding towns, they were going out into the wilderness, and they were confessing their sins. How radical is that? Like taking off the mask, and they were getting into the waters, and they were being washed. It was symbolic of being cleansed because sin is dirty. And they were confessing that they were filthy. And John's message was, get ready, be prepared, turn, because the king is coming. And that's exactly what we're picking up this morning. We're going to look at six questions. I want to encourage you, as you study the scriptures, ask questions and seek the answers. Uh, first question, why is Jesus called the Lamb of God? We're going to do something really cool this morning. We're going to be looking at Matthew 3, but we're also going to join that to John chapter 1 and see the harmony of the Gospels, where we're going to look at Scripture to interpret Scripture. The second question we're going to look at, why had Jesus come to John? If we don't know the answer, it's actually pretty shocking. Three, how did John demonstrate what I will call the humility factor and the prayer is that that same type of characteristic would be found in my life, our life. 
Fourth, why was Jesus baptized? Very significant. Five, how should we respond to Jesus' baptism? And then finally, why was the Father pleased with Jesus? And then really, uh, kind of parenthetically, then why is the Father pleased with you? The answer uh, may actually be really hard to believe. <laughs> I mean, intellectually we'll grasp it, but I mean like down at the cellular heart level, it may be really difficult to believe. So I'm going to read through the passage, Matthew uh, chapter 3, starting in verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. Verse 14, John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Lord, we turn our hearts to your scriptures. We desire to learn, we desire to grow. Reveal the things to us, Lord, that we just do not know. Uh, give us hearts to receive. May they be fertile soil and your word like seed. May it take root and drive down deep roots and produce great fruit in our hearts and our minds. Everything that is of you, let it remain. Anything that is not of you, let it burn away. In your name we pray. Amen. So the question is that we're looking at, is uh, why is Jesus called the Lamb of God? We're going to first start in Matthew 3, verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John. Now, when I read that, when we read that in Matthew 3, verse 13, we should be on the edge of our seats. We really should, like, there's movement. I mean, we really haven't heard anything from Jesus since he was a child. Like, 30, roughly 30 years has passed, and we should be sitting there like, what's about to happen? Because Jesus is leaving Galilee, and he's heading towards the Jordan to John. And just so we can get kind of a visual, let's see this map. And there's a reason why I use maps, by the way. One, because I really think they're cool. Um, but secondly, because it puts this scripture that we're studying in actual time and space. This is the unfolding of a historical narrative that took place in a real place. And, and so Jesus is setting out from that little know-nothing town of Nazareth, which is why he often is referred to as Jesus of what? Nazareth. There you go. And he's traveling the some 90-plus miles all the way down over here, most likely to the Judean southern wilderness, right north of the Dead Sea to the Jordan River where John was preaching and baptizing. And I want you to turn over in your Bibles to John chapter 1. Because we're going to harmonize what we're reading in Matthew 3 with what is being unfolded in John chapter 1, starting in verse 29. John chapter 1, verse 29. So John is like mid, I kind of like envision like mid-sermon or maybe like mid-baptism or, or, or like mid-proclamation. The king is coming and then he turns around and he's like, there he is! John chapter 1, verse 29 through 31. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold, look, everyone, it's him. 
the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. That is why John came baptizing. And I find this so crazy. I mean, just imagine with me for a moment what it would be like if you were proclaiming Jesus and his soon return, and you're like talking about Jesus and you're preaching Jesus, and all of a sudden Jesus showed up. How rad would that be? You'd be like, I was just talking about you. And that's totally what happens with John. And, and I find it so fascinating that John points at him. He says, behold, pay attention. And he says this, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And we have to ask the question, why is Jesus called the Lamb of God? Uh, it's a very unique declaration. Uh, nowhere else do we see Jesus like being called that. Outside of, outside of John's writing, the Lamb of God... And what it is, it's a reference to something very significant. It's a reference to the Passover lamb, which was a memorial sacrifice tracing its roots all the way back to the night of the Exodus. All the way back in the book of Exodus, where the children of Israel were being delivered from Egypt, and there was that tenth and final plague where the death angel passed over Egypt, and the Israelites were to take a lamb an unblemished lamb, and they were, to, they were to slaughter it, and they were to take some of its blood and put it over the lintel of the home so that when the death angel passed over the land, they would see the shed blood of the lamb, and the death angel would pass over that home. And in, in the same way, Jesus, he is this sacrificial offering that literally through the centuries, every Passover lamb that was offered in the land of Israel was always pointing to the true lamb of God who would be the full sacrifice that his shed blood would be applied to our life. That literally judgment would pass over. That Christ's blood was shed, like Jesus was presented before God as the holy sacrifice for the sins, not just of Israel, or not just for a select group of people, but we're told for the sins of the world. And that's why in John 3, 16, we read, for God so loved the what? The world. He gave his only son to be what? A sacrifice to suffer and die for the sins of the world. Like, for God so loved you, he gave his son to die for your sins. That you, by faith, could be forgiven and cleansed and in a right standing before God, that the blood could be applied to your life. The Lamb of God, who not only takes away the sins of the world, the Lamb of God who has taken away my sin. It's such a, a wonderful declaration that no matter who we are, no matter what we have done or haven't done, we may receive true eternal life by placing our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. As the scriptures tell us, for all who call out upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But as we reconcile this to the message we saw of John the Baptist last week, we actually get to see the twofold ministry of Jesus, that he has come, yes, to first be Savior, but then he is going to come to establish his kingdom. And that he will bring judgment to the earth. 
that just as we saw last week in Matthew chapter 3, verse 12, that his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. That the message is very clear when held in tandem, that it's that is received Christ while there is still time because Jesus is going to return. Uh, just this week, I was sharing the love of Jesus uh, with a person. I was sharing with them about the love of the Lord. And, and I don't know, have you ever seen the glaze? And I'm talking like the glaze like on a Krispy Kreme donut. You know, like just the glaze that comes over people's eyes. Ah, uh, you're one of those. Sweet. How long do I got to sit here? I mean, it'll be socially awkward for me to walk away and they just get all glazed over. You know what I'm talking about, the glaze? Don't be glazing up right now. No, I don't see any holy glazes out there. Anyway, so the person just glazed over. And, and I, I, th I started thinking about it, and I was like, you know what? Didn't deter me. I just, just told, her, told him at the end, I said, you know what? You were loved. I just wanted to share that with you. And kind of went on about my day, and then I was thinking about it. I was like, I wonder what it will be like. Not necessarily when that person, but when a person stands before the Lord, and they declare, I never heard. And then the Lord gives them every flashback of every opportunity they had to respond to the gospel. Can you imagine watching that video? Standing before the Lord. I never knew. To which the Lord says, I sent you this person, I sent you this person, I sent you this person, I sent you this person. It's not that you never knew. It's that you never humbled yourself to the true gospel of salvation and you have in turn decided to stand on your own righteousness. And it ain't enough to support the eternal weight of your life. Jesus is the Lamb of God, but he is also the one who will come to winnow the earth. And so John declares, here he is. And we're, we're left asking the question, like, why had Jesus come to John? I mean, we know the answer, but if we had not read it, we wouldn't have believed it. It's actually shocking on the surface. Like, why had Jesus come to John? I mean, I have this in my mind, this thought, well, Jesus probably showed up. He could have slapped John 5, like, all right, dude, hey, you're done. Thank you. Appreciate what you've done so far. I'll take the baton from here. I mean, he could have showed up and preached the sermon, maybe done a few miracles, kind of wowed the crowd, but that's not at all why Jesus came to John that day. In fact, we know the answer to the question, why had Jesus come to John? The answer is to be baptized, Matthew 3.13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by him. It's a purpose statement. That is why Jesus had made that 90-plus mile trip south from Nazareth down to the Jordan. But it seems completely insane I mean, just think about this, how inappropriate. Why would the perfect and sinless king need to step into that sinful stream of those spiritually dirty waters? That water was filthy. I mean, people were confessing their sins. I mean, it was symbolic. They were like, all their grime was being washed off in the water. And then all of a sudden, Jesus starts walking into that water. And, and John's like, whoa, 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 what are you doing? This isn't for you. In fact, in Matthew 3, 14, we read, John would have prevented him. 
I mean, that reads literally like forcefully, like John's like almost trying to push him out of the water, like this isn't for you. And in fact, if you're going to get in this water, there's only one reason you would. It's to baptize me, not you. John says this, I need to be baptized by you. Do you come to me? And, and what I see in John is this just incredible humility factor, right? Like, if, if anyone needed to be baptized, it was John, because John's like, I'm a sinner in need of being cleansed. You're not. It's so bizarre for the lesser to baptize the greater, but isn't that the picture of Jesus? I have not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom. Like, think of the humility of Christ. And so he comes to John, and in John, the humility factor, I mean, this is crazy. So John knew who he was, but he also knew who he wasn't. Uh, I'm reminded of, of John's reaction in, in John chapter 1. In verses 19 through 22 and 23, when, when the, the religious elite had sent some, some people to John to ask him, like, why are you doing this? Who are you? And I love how John responds. Listen to this, verse 19 of John 1. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I'm not the Christ. He's like, look, I'm not the Messiah. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He's like, no, I'm not. I'm not Elijah. I'm not that great prophet. Are you the prophet? Like, are you the prophet that Moses talked about? And he answered, no. So they said, who are you? Like, who gives you the authority? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And you know what's so crazy? John says, I'm just a voice. That's all I am. I'm just a voice proclaiming a message. Verse 23, he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. He's like, I'm just one sent by God, and all I am is a voice. You see, John knew he had important work to do, but he also knew he wasn't the most important. And in fact, he knew that the most important was Jesus. That everything he was doing was not about him at all. It was all about Jesus. And I think John the Baptist teaches us in very tangible ways of what it looks like for us to have the humility factor in our own life. To be able to know who we are and to know who we're not. You know, to recognize that we have important work to do, absolutely, but we're not the most important person. Although, I'm pretty important. You know what I mean? There are days I wake up, I'm like, yo soy muy importante. <laughs> I mean, you may be important, but world revolves around moi. And there's a reality to that, right? Like the spiritual insanity where we think we're the most important people in the world. Get out of my way. So we're driving down the road. Get out of my way. Where I'm going is more important. What I'm doing is more important. But then there's this reality like, oh, no, it should be all about Jesus. Like if we are followers, like we're really true, tangible followers of the Lord Jesus, that means our goal, our goal and our purpose is to bring him glory and honor and praise because Jesus is the most important person in the world. You all agree with that? Let me say it again. Jesus is the most important person in the world. There you go. And so recognizing who Jesus really was, John's like, wait a second. This isn't for you. Which led me to ask the question, why was Jesus baptized? 
We're about to read the first recorded words of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew. How important do you think they are? These are the very first recorded words in the Gospel of Matthew. That means I'm taking up my pen and I'm highlighting it and I'm underlining it and I'm, I'm going to really take this apart. Jesus declares, verse 15, He answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us. I love how he says us. He's like we. He's like all of a sudden, John is like being elevated. He's rubbing shoulders with Messiah. He's like us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. I love how Jesus makes it a we statement. Can you imagine that the Lord says it's a we thing, that we're a part of the church, that we're doing work, we're doing ministry? It's a we thing, like we're rubbing shoulders with Jesus? Isn't that crazy? And, and that by John baptizing Jesus, a fulfillment was taking place. And we're going to look at four reasons why Jesus was baptized. All four are important. All four of these are important. I'm sure there's more, but this is kind of like how I, I boiled it down. The first reason Jesus was baptized was to fulfill the will of the Father. Do you know that everything Jesus did and everything Jesus said was in perfect fulfillment of the will of God the Father? In fact, in John 6, 38, Jesus declared this, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of the one who sent me. Wouldn't that be a spiritually sane posture to take every single day? I am in the world to play the role that God assigns. Doesn't that simplify things? What is my responsibility today? To do the will of the one who sent me. Everything that Jesus said or did was in complete fulfillment of the will of God. Second reason was to validate the ministry of John. I love this. Jesus being baptized by John validated his ministry among the people. It was a testimony that John was truly sent by God. Matthew 11, verse 11, Jesus says this about John. He says, truly I say to you, among those born of women has yet arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Can you imagine? And John, uh, Jesus adds, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Boy, doesn't that give you the principle? If you want to be great in this life, be the least. You want to be first in this life, be last. Jesus, everything he did models that. And he elevates John. The third reason Jesus was baptized was to reveal his future baptism of suffering. You see, the word baptism, it means to be immersed or submerged. And the water that Jesus is being lowered to in the Jordan was really symbolic of death. Everything was always pointing towards the cross. That even as Jesus was approaching Jerusalem with his disciples, some three years later, he's walking along, and multiple times he's telling them, like, hey, we're going to get to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be handed over to the hands of Gentiles. They're going to they're they're crucify me. They're going to do all these terrible things to me, but then I'm going to rise. And on one such occasion, Jesus is telling his disciples this, and you want to know what the disciples were bickering about? Who's the greatest? Like, Jesus is literally telling them, guys, I'm about to go suffer. And so James and John pull Jesus aside, and they're like, hey, Jesus, hey, could you do something for us? Because we know you're going to usher in the kingdom. See, they didn't realize the kingdom came first with the cross, and they were like, hey, could you do us a favor? Can we sit at your right and your left hand? Can we be elevated to the highest seats of authority in your kingdom? And Jesus is like, hey, check this out. Mark 10, 38, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. 
Are you willing to suffer and die? Jesus is like, I'm about to go through a baptism. Luke 11, or 12, verse 50, he, Jesus declares, I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Jesus being lowered into the waters of the Jordan was symbolic. It's pointing forward. He's about to be baptized on the cross. But I think the most important reason that Jesus was baptized and probably the most shocking to me is, was to identify himself with sinners. You see, Jesus getting into that sinful stream was identifying with the sinfulness of people and the frailty of people. He stepped into the water to relate. He was identifying with our humanity, our frailty, our sinfulness. I mean, that is why, I mean, he came and he took on our flesh. He took the lowest form of a servant. He came to suffer and die, but he came and he, and he stood in those sinful waters and he's like, I'm doing this for you. Just like in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, we read, For our sake, God made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That Jesus is stepping into the sinful stream of our humanity, and he didn't just step into the Jordan, he has stepped into the sinful stream of our very lives. And he's taken our sin upon himself so that we can be the righteousness of God. He's so identifying with us. And you know what? Jesus was never ashamed to be identified with sinners. You know, people were like looking at Jesus like, you, you hang out with, you eat with, you, you're always around sinners. I mean, like, do you know how contagious that is? You know how dirty and filthy that is? And Jesus is like, this is why I came. These are my people. Like, we think to ourselves, Jesus is repulsed by our sin, but did you know that it is your sin and your frailty and your, your deep despondency in that pit that we sit in? Do you know that actually elicits a greater sense of love and affection for you? He draws near to you. He's not repulsed by you. He is not repulsed by your sin. In fact, it breaks his heart. He's drawn to you. And he loves you, and he wants to lavish that love and mercy and grace on you. That is why he has come. And I think it's so, so beautiful that he identifies with us. So how should we respond to Jesus' baptism? I think we should identify with him. If Jesus is willing to suffer and die on the cross for me, I should be willing to live for him. It seems like a very reasonable expectation. So when I read in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 through 15, that literally the love of Christ controls me, compels me, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, that is, we have died to ourselves, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for the sake died and was raised. What does that mean? Jesus died for me. So I'm going to live for him. Jesus died for me. And so I'm going to live for him. How should I uh, respond to this king who is so identified with me? Well, I'm going to be identified with Jesus. I'm going to take a stand for Jesus. That if I'm going to be known for one thing, let it be Jesus. Wouldn't it be amazing if we so identified with Jesus, 
that when people saw our life, they saw Jesus. You know, and one of those ways that we identify with Christ is through believer's baptism, where we, we make this testimony, this declaration before the church, before the world, that, that I am a follower of Christ, that I am symbolically lowered into his death and I'm raised up to this picture of eternal life. That's why I think it's so, so crazy this morning. I stumbled into a classroom, and they were kind of having a social time, and, and I, I was talking with them, and, and it's this wonderful class taught by Kevin Davis. Kevin Davis, one of our excellent teachers. And uh, I, I came in, and I was like, hey, can, can I teach this morning? Would you all be okay with that? And they were like, sure. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go get my Bible. So I got my Bible, and I came back in the class, and we were looking, and they, I said, where were, we, where were we at? What, what passage are we studying? And they were like, Acts 22. I was like, oh my gosh, great chapter. So I turn, we open up, and we start studying, and I glean so much from the class because we all have the Holy Spirit, and God was moving and speaking, and one of the verses is so crazy that we ended off with, Acts 22, verse 16. Listen to this. This is crazy. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized. Wash away your sins, calling on his name. And I was like, dude, I'm literally talking about the baptism of Jesus this morning and about the importance of believers' baptism. And this was literally what Ananias told to Paul when the scales fell from his eyes and it was time for him to take tangible action. Identify yourself with Jesus. Don't tell me God isn't moving, you know what I mean? There's these moments where I'm just like, Lord, okay. You are totally sovereign and in control. So Jesus is baptized. Verse 16, check out what happens. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. This is profound. Literally, the, the heavens were ripped open, and from heaven came the Holy Spirit. And just this morning, I want you to flip over in your Bible. This is so crazy to me. Uh, Isaiah 11. I know that was your devotional reading this morning. Yeah, it just blows my mind. It just blows my mind. So I'm reading... Um, Isaiah 12, and I just felt led. I was like, okay, Isaiah 11. And I start reading the first two verses, and it was like this ray of light, like burst into my Bible study this morning. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. So this is why this is crazy. So I just cut down five Bradford pears in my backyard. And if you all don't know about a Bradford pear, man, what a nasty little tree. And it was breaking off. Anyway, cut them down. If you all love Bradfords, I apologize. I'm not trying to be offensive, but I really did not like our Bradford pears. So I cut them down, and there were stumps in our backyard. And, and you know what's crazy? You know what started happening? Little shoots started popping up. And so, you know what I did yesterday? I got a stump grinder, and if you've never had the joy of doing stump grinding, oh, it was fun. And I'm sitting there grinding these stumps down, and then this morning I open up, and it's talking about a stump and a shoot. And you know what it's talking about? It's talking about Jesus. That it appeared that, that this, this tree had been cut down, but from the stump would come the shoot. That Jesus, the humility, that he's just a shoot. But then listen to what it says. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So when we read in Matthew chapter 3, and verse 16, that as Jesus comes up out of the water, the Holy Spirit comes upon him, you should immediately go, it's him. 
This is the one that Isaiah wrote about. This is the root from the stump of Jesse. The Holy Spirit coming to align on him. And then there's this wonderful statement that no matter what gospel account you read it, we're told that the Holy Spirit descends like a dove, like a dove, like a dove. And I'm like, why the dove? Like, why is that a picture? And for years, theologians have been like, why the dove? And, and we don't really know. But that's why in Christian art, there are doves. It's the picture of the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, oh my gosh, how beautiful. Like, I love seeing doves on my fence and just think of the faithfulness of God. It makes me think of, of just this beautiful picture. And I just want all you hunters to think about that as you go dove hunting. <laughs> Sorry, I was like setting that up. I was so excited about that little joke. I hope it was really good. Was it worth the wait? Boo! <laughs> I'm just kidding. Isn't there anything better than a dove breast wrapped in bacon? I mean, pretty much anything wrapped in bacon. Anyway, stay focused, Christopher. Matthew 3.17, and behold, this is worth the price of admission, family. A voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And I'm going to quote here from the Bible Knowledge Commentary because this is one of the great Trinitarian passages of your Bible. Because in this passage, we see the Son, God the Son. We, see, we hear God the Father from heaven, and we see the Holy Spirit come down. And so all three persons of the Godhead were present at this event, the Father who spoke of his Son, the Son who was being baptized, and the Spirit descended as a dove on the Son. And then, like, going down to more of like the soul level too, like I hear the heart of the Father. I want you to consider it. Uh, consider this. Twice in the Gospels, or twice in Matthew's Gospel, we hear this phrase, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry and then at the Mount of Transfiguration. But this statement was made over Jesus before he had preached a single sermon, before he had performed a single work. In fact, he, all he had done was be the Father's Son. And, and as I started thinking about this, this concept, why is the Father pleased with Jesus? And it's simple, because Jesus is his Son. The Son brings the Father pleasure. It was not rooted in what his Son had done, but in who his Son was. The Father was pleased with his Son because Jesus is his Son. And then I started thinking about us as sons and daughters of God. Why is the Father pleased with us? And I'm going to offer to you, it's not because of anything you do, it's because of who you are, that you're his son or you're his daughter. With you, he is well pleased. It's just like with my sons, like the moment I held that little newborn, that moment, you remember the new baby smell? Not, not, not the baby smell like, that comes with the diapers and all that. I'm talking about like new baby smell, like... And then you just like kiss that little, that little soft spot and you rub that silky hair and there's pleasure. Like I had great pleasure. Like I'm well pleased. And you know what? To this day, no, even though my sons are bigger and stinkier and louder and all that, but I am very pleased because they're my sons. And that doesn't mean everything they do brings me pleasure. There's sometimes the attitudes and behaviors and all that. Not everything, I'm not really excited about. It's not like everything about our life. Like some people are just like, well, God's pleased with me no matter what I do. And, and they just kind of have this cavalier attitude. And, and I'm like, well, hold on a second. Let's think about that. 
The Father loves you, and he wants the best for us. And he's pleased with us because we love his son. You are a son or daughter of the living God because of faith in Jesus. And the Father is pleased with you right now where you sit. Not because of anything you do or don't do. Just because you're his son or daughter. Isn't that wonderful? Okay, so what does this passage teach us today? I've, I've learned a lot personally. Jesus is the Lamb of God. I got to really consider that. That he was offered as a sacrifice for us. I see the humility of John the Baptist. I pray that that's a, a model for my own life, that I take that same posture. I see that Jesus identified with us. We should identify with him. And, and I see that my Father in heaven is pleased. And, and you know what this makes me want to do? This makes me want to respond. And so last week gave opportunity for us to respond to the message. And I want to start doing this every single week. That if you feel led, like right now, if you feel like the Lord's calling you, you want to give your life to Jesus and you want to receive him as your Savior. Or you want to rededicate your life. Or that you have prayer and you want someone to pray with you. Or you want to be baptized. I think it's important in our Christian life that we take tangible steps. Like literally action. And so to that end, I'm going to ask, uh, if, if I've talked with you as a response partner, I want you to come on down. Uh, we have um, some folks that are going to be waiting for you right up here. And uh, their purpose is to pray with you or to sh tell you how to become a believer or to pray with you of rededication or if you want to be baptized, they're going to meet with you. Miss Pat, if you want to make your way right over here. And so we're going to sing the goodness of our Father. And as we sing, I want to invite you to come and, and take this opportunity to take some real tangible steps. You're invited. today. It says the prayer of a righteous person avails much. Do you need prayer this morning? Come. 
If there's something you can't let go of and you're just carrying it around with you, come. Take that step. I love your voice. You led me through the fire. And in darkest nights, you are close like no other. I know you as a father. I know you as a friend. And I have lived in the good. of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all till we meet again same time same place next week or on Wednesday night Foundations Bible Study let's get in the word 7 o'clock and do not forget family you are love now let's go take that love outside these doors and give them Jesus have a great week all my life you have been faithful and all my So, so good with every.
thing of her goodness. 